We are privileged this morning to have Steve Zacharias with us. We're also privileged to have some of our workers from camp. What, what kind of camp is it next week? Junior to 79-year-old, so you're looking forward to it. <laughs> Let's remember to pray for them. Uh, it's a time of intense relationship, and uh, I'm sure it's the same in the different countries where which Steve is representing. So, Steve, we'll ask you to bring us the message and possibly some report on the work of the camps in the Christian Camps International. God bless you. Well, good morning. And it's a privilege to be here once again with you. Uh, it's been some time. It's been a couple of years, I think, since I've been here last, but it's good to see some familiar faces. And uh, yeah, thank you again for the invitation to come and uh, share with you. Uh, I'd like to just give you a brief update as to where the ministry has been. I think probably one of the best ways, I was just talking with Ruben before, and he was uh, saying uh, as he was teaching some marketing, it's better to engage some different senses. So I've got some video. Uh, my apologies, it's a few months old, so some of the statistics and that sort of thing have changed, but there's so much that hasn't uh, changed uh, the joy that these children are experiencing, uh, the commitment of these churches that are serving around the world uh, through the Ministry of Children's Camps International. Those things haven't changed. Uh, but won't you uh, show that video there? Uh, just a little bit of an update as to what God's been doing through the ministry. Walking pace, it would take you 10 days to get to the front of that line. 
If you were to take every child's name and type it out in a regular 12-point font with only a single space between each name, it would create a book with over 2,980 pages of text. The thought makes me think of the Lamb's Book of Life and how many chapters have been added because you generously supported the vision of CCI. Our vision is this, to communicate that every life is precious and that every child should have the opportunity for hope through Jesus Christ. 1.2 million campers is a lot of children. And the question has been asked, how many campers is enough? Our answer is simple, just one more. There's just a few images of uh, the many campers that have gone to camp over the years. Uh, like it said in the video, just uh, 2003 is when we got started, and it was a very humble beginning. And it still is a very humble ministry as you look at the people that are involved, but quite incredible because God has taken humble pieces and done something quite remarkable. Just in, in 2003, we were blown away when we saw 100 kids arrive on that first day of camp. And then the next week, there was a couple hundred. And then it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And each year, the numbers climbed and climbed. We were overwhelmed by 500 kids coming that first year, and that growing to 3,000 the next year. And this last year, over 200,000 children attended camp in the countries that we're working in. And we're just really in awe of all that God is doing. And we want to say thank you for your prayers and for your support of this ministry, because we see that it's making a dramatic difference. You know, it's easy to share numbers like that, but each one of those children has a story. Each one of those has a family. And I'd love to share with you some of the stories of some of these children and their families as I share some words from Scripture. Just, uh, you know, back to the ministry. It's been a really great year. Like I said, over 200,000 children have gone to camp already this year. So that brings that number, the 1.2 million, brings it up to 1.4 million. Uh, it's just so mind-boggling, isn't it? Uh, that one stat of uh, how many pages of text. Now, that's not just one name per line. That's many names, each line with only a single space between there. 2,980 pages. Add 500 pages for this year. That just becomes overwhelming and incredible. Or it adds another 200 kilometers to the trek, so it could be all the way from Calgary to Kenora or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, or another week of slides to watch 24-7. Pretty remarkable. Uh, and we're pretty overwhelmed at what God has been doing. God has been gracious to us as well. We've just come through the bulk of our camping season. Most of our campers attend camp in the months of April, May, and June. And so that's just come, come past. And, uh, and we're receiving stories on a, on a regular basis from overseas of the transformation that's happening in the lives of these children and is now going home to their parents and their siblings. You know, we've had some great opportunities in the last year as well. Uh, some of you were asking uh, about the opportunities that we have to go and, and check in on these programs and visit these programs. And this year, uh, my wife and I had a, a unique opportunity to uh, finally say yes to a request that had been coming over the last number of years. There was a, a group in Brazil that, was say, that had heard of what God was doing around the world through the Ministry of Children's Camps International. And they asked if we would be willing to come and work together with them as well. And so 
so, uh, so this was the year that we felt it was time to go in and check in on this and, and to see incredible things that God was doing there, how he set the stage for an incredible ministry, a wonderful couple, uh, Marco and Claudia were their names, and, and how God had surrounded them with all the resources and all the people. All they needed was some encouragement and a high five, and I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to come back again to share with you how that ministry progresses. But that takes us to five out of six continents. I guess if you're not counting Antarctica, I was trying to, I was Googling it this morning just to see if, uh, you know, if we should uh, plan for that continent as well, but it seems it's only scientists and penguins on, on Antarctica, so we might leave that one for a little longer, unless all of a sudden we have penguin camps or science camps of some sort uh, for, for uh, researchers. So, but yeah, that takes us to our fifth continent of six. And so a growing number of countries and an awesome number of kids. You know, uh, it's our vision to stand beside the indigenous church, encouraging them, um, helping them to reach out to the children of their communities. And it's an idea that so many churches uh, just don't consider because uh, often for struggling churches, you, you think of who to reach out to that will benefit the church uh, most immediately. And, and so sometimes pastors share about how they need to reach out to the adults because they're the ones that can contribute to the church, right? And uh, how many pastors haven't we had this conversation with to think about you know, the future of their church and how many of them have seen how they can build a stronger church by reaching out to the children? And so that's the, that's the message that we share with them, is encouraging them to equip their youth, to reach out to the children of their community, and those children so often are the ones that are most effective in reaching those parents and those adults that they've been working so hard to reach. So that's our work, is supporting churches just like that, equipping their youth to reach out to the kids. And we're always looking for ways of of to grow these opportunities by also assisting them with ways that they can generate the resources, the funding for those programs right within their own community. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, about a half dozen of us went off to uh, Jasper, and we had a bit of an objective. We want to raise some funding to help those churches raise their own funding. And, and one, of the, one of the neat projects that uh, one of our ministry directors in Cambodia shared with me, he said, you know, Steve, if you could help us with, uh, with um, a simple little project. He says, if we could have about five or half a dozen pigs uh, for a church in a backyard, they could generate uh, $600 of profit every year from those pigs. And that would be more than enough to support their children's program. So we thought, hey, that's a fantastic idea that has come from our team in Cambodia. Why don't we do a little bit of something to stand behind them and help them with this project? So seeing as it was pigs, we equated it with bacon, and we were going to ride our bikes from Jasper to Banff, so we called it the Aiken for Bacon Tour. So we did some Aiken and raise some money for some bacon. And so we're excited to see a handful of churches be able to receive this gift and uh, be able to multiply themselves year after year. If anyone says, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun to me, and I, that you'd like to bike from Jasper to Banff, it's not a task so superhuman. Uh, it certainly is a thrilling and exciting trip. It's a beautiful trip. Uh, it's, uh, we did climb a lot of mountains with our bikes, about 12,500 feet, I think, was about the average between our, our apps on our phones, what they were calculating. Uh, and some of it was slow going, but hey, for every hill that goes up, it must also come down. So that was a lot of fun as well. 
and I won't tell you much more about that because my wife is in the room and she probably wouldn't be enthusiastic about the speeds that we were going on our bicycles wearing not much more than spandex. And <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's shift our focus and let's, uh, let's go back to the chapter of, uh, or Luke chapter 15. Uh, a great, uh, great passage, one that uh, I find so encouraging. I'm sure you find encouraging as well because there's three very happy stories in here. Uh, items that were lost that are now found. And, you know, I was spending a little bit of time reflecting on this passage over this past week. And, you know what, to be quite honest with you, it started to, to you know, I, I wanted to really embrace that hap- those happy stories, but some of them really challenged me and gave me a good kick in the backside. And, uh, and I hope if you'll indulge me, you'll allow me to be so bold as to share some of the challenges that God spoke to me over this past week. And, and hopefully, hopefully there'll be an encouragement uh, to you. Luke chapter 15, we see three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And one of the things I love most about this passage is I believe that it reflects the attitudes that God has towards the lost and to ministry. You know, not long ago, uh, as, a, as a team, as a children's ministry uh, team, Children's Camps International, we got together to evaluate our our, our attitudes towards the lost and our attitudes towards ministry. And we, we plastered the wall with these sticky notes, these great big sticky notes of the different things that came to mind. Uh, things that, were, that we felt were important to us. Things like discipleship and how we expressed that it was our hearts not only to reach out to these children, but to see them discipled week after week and see the, the word of God take deep root into their hearts and see that also have produced transformation in their lives. Um, we shared things like our value to empower the local church, that this isn't a mission that we're going as the saviors to all these different countries, but rather we're working with the local people right there who know the language, who know the culture, and who know the people of their communities. We also shared our, our passions for velocity, that we want to see the most uh, the greatest number of people saved, and that our time, we feel a sense of urgency and that we need to move quickly. And we also shared that value of reaching as many as possible. One person, as we got to that point, asked the question, well, as a ministry, are we just about the numbers? You know, I shared that video with you, and it starts to sound a little bit like, are these guys a little boastful of the numbers? Well, if we're boastful, it's boastful in the Lord because he's done incredible things. When you see the types of people that we work with, ourselves included in that, you'll see that we're very simple people, and and something of that magnitude could only be accomplished by the grace of God. And so when, we, when we're asked, is it just about the numbers, we say, you know, absolutely it's about the numbers because the greater the number is, the greater our God uh, becomes. And, and we, we love to, to share those things. Now, are these healthy min- uh, attitudes for a ministry to have? Well, I'd like to believe so. You know, I'm going to reflect on something that was said by a man a number of years ago, John Rockefeller. He was once known to be the world's wealthiest man and a successful business person. He was asked once, how much money is enough money? And some of you might remember his response because it became quite famous. He said, just a little more. And isn't that a common perspective that we even share to today? You know, our pursuit of many things. We always are wanting of a little bit more. Well, you know, that resonates with me as we were talking about this. And our mandate 
is to reach as many as possible. So the question was asked of us, how many campers would be enough? When do we finally achieve that goal where we kind of take our foot off the gas and we start to just kind of sustain? And we answered that question. The answer is just one more. And that's what I want to share with you because I see that that's an attitude that's shared within these passages as well. As you see the attitude that Christ presents towards the lost, I believe that God has that same attitude. When is it finally enough? It's just one more. So let's talk about that most important number, the important number of the number one. As we look into those first verses, there are 99, or there's 100 sheep in total, correct? And 99 are in the fold, and one has become lost. Hmm. What does this tell us? Well, I believe that it shows us the value of one. When I look at this parable, there seems to be a few things that are out of place, or a few things that are wrong. There's a a picture that doesn't fit towards some of my own attitudes towards life, and maybe even those towards ministry. Um, you know, first of all, you know, as Reuben was, was sharing there too, there were two definite crowds that were there. And uh, it seemed to me that Jesus was primarily focusing on, on perhaps the wrong crowd. Let me ask you this question. If we were really honest what crowd of those two do you think are efforts most targets? The ones, the religious, or perhaps those that are the lost? You know, I think of some of my own efforts, and, and I, I sometimes feel like maybe I'm most uncomfortable by the crowd that Jesus was maybe most connected to. Um, when's the last time that I was accused of keeping company with sinners? It's been a while. Because I think I become most comfortable when I'm within the four walls of my church. And and sometimes my thoughts don't extend beyond there. But yet Jesus was right there in the center of a crowd of people who most needed him. Then there's the matter of values. Something else that challenges me there. There's the 99 versus the 1. You know, once upon a time, I worked as a paramedic. And one of the very first things that they taught us within our training was the idea of numbers and and balancing scenarios here and evaluating them by the numbers. You know, they encourage us, don't get yourself into a situation where you're going to create more casualties. You know, there was a, a strong discouragement towards heroism. They said, you know, that's something that we reserve for the movies. But when you become on scene and there's a dangerous scenario there first thing to look for is your own personal safety. Because if you rush into an area where there's danger, all you're going to do is create more casualties, right? And those are the attitudes that we often bring towards life, and even those towards ministry. It's logical and it's wise that perhaps it's good enough to focus on those 99. Yet Jesus tells this story that focuses more on the one, and I'm there sitting thinking, what about those 99? I start to think about this shepherd that we think of the hero of the story. And part of my humanity says, but what about those 99? Wasn't it, wasn't it unwise or was it careless to just leave them alone to go searching after the one that was lost? Did anyone else see that within that, that picture? They say, well, there's no one in the crowd that's saying, well, what about those people? 
Yet those are the voices that we hear all the time. God has a, perhaps a more frivolous approach to the lost than I do. He's not focused on those that are in the fold as much as he is focused on those that are outside of the fold. Can we confidently say that that's the common attitude within our churches here within North America? Are we more focused on those that are outside the fold? Or are we perhaps more focused on those 99 that are inside the fold? You know, sometimes I look at that and I think that 99% is not a bad mark to hit. If we're keeping those other 99% safe, that should be pretty good, right? 99% is a good mark to get on a... On a, on, a, on a test or something like that. Perhaps I wasn't the best influence, but I know my wife was just studying and, and just completed a college degree. And my words were often this, you know, C's get degrees. Why don't you come and spend some time together with us? And, and, uh, and we could have some more fun. Do you really need to get 100% on these tests? Who's ever going to ask you what you got on these? But yet she had a very good focus and focused on getting every last possible point on every single exam. I think that that's the same sort of attitude that God takes towards the lost, doesn't he? Are are our interests on the 99 or are they on the one that was lost? You know, I can say of the churches in the developing world, there is such an incredible drive towards reaching that one last child. Actually, one of the images that was in that video, and and I I wish we could uh, go back to show it because there was a pastor that had this biggest, beautifulest smile, and and I don't know if you caught his surroundings, but I've got it very clearly in my mind because I sat with a pastor in the slums of a place called Kodakanal in the mountains of India, and it was just one of those typical scenarios, uh, typical scenes of where you had the little chickens that were running around and the half-naked children and the rubble of all kinds of garbage and everything else that was all around. And yet I sat with this very joyful pastor who was describing the things that God was doing within his church. And I was listening very carefully to his, his stories through a translator, and, and, and this pastor was, was doing some sacrificial things. He was really giving of himself to work amongst the children of this community. In fact, it was a community that we weren't even in that area. He had to travel two days to get to the pastor's meetings where he would receive the resources, the Bible study books, and that sort of thing, to go back to do these children's programs, and he would make this trek regularly because he believed in this this ministry. And so as he's sharing the things that he was doing amongst the children, I'm adding and I'm taking tally in my, my head of the expense of all of this. I think our ministry director was doing the same thing. And, and this, this pastor didn't speak English, so I had a little bit of freedom. So I asked our, our, our ministry director, I says, you know what, if it becomes appropriate, would you ask him, you know, what kind of offering comes in on a weekly basis of his church, if it's appropriate to ask those things in this culture? And so uh, my, our ministry director was saying, you know what, Steve, I was, I was wondering the same thing. So he says, actually, that was one of the questions I was going to ask. So he asked the question, and the pastor had replied with a number. And I did the math in my mind, and I was like, you know what, that barely covers what he's just described is done just amongst the children of his church. And so I asked Anthony, our ministry director there, I asked Anthony, you know what, Anthony, if it becomes appropriate, could you ask him what he takes for a salary out of that offering? And Anthony was saying, again said, you know, I was thinking the exact same question because this wasn't quite 
measuring up. And so the time came and Anthony asked this question and the, the pastor's face got all screwy and I was like, oh boy, now I've done it. I've, I've gone way beyond what's culturally acceptable. But as the conversation unfolded, this pastor, what, what, his, what the look on his face was, was confusion. Confusion because he didn't understand what, what was a salary. And so Anthony explained to him that that's what you would take out of the offering to, to, to fulfill the needs of your own family, um, to pay your own way. And the pastor just responded. He says, well, why would I ever feel entitled to take something that belongs to God? He says, if the Lord provides for me food, then I eat. And if he doesn't, then it's a day of prayer and fasting. And boy, that kind of just rattled me a little bit. That really challenged me because so often I'm looking after my own interests. I'm focused on the things that are within my own fold. But this pastor on the flip side saw as every little resource that came into his management was to be invested for that one lost sheep. You know, that's an example that always sticks with me and challenges me. Now, how can these attitudes become practical for us? How do we invest ourselves so deeply that we're focused on the one that's lost rather than the 99 that are right here within the room? Well, you know, it doesn't take long and you can start to see different ideas. Uh, you know what, just this morning I, was, I went to check out my Facebook feed just to see what news was going around and uh, you see the images of, of Christians in our world today and one that came up very quickly was, was a, Christ, a popular Christian perspective uh, expressed about the issue of abortion. And it was one that I don't necessarily disagree with uh, saying that, you know what, this is a murderous act. But yet I wondered in my spirit, you know, is that the only message that we as Christians portray when we pick it outside of a clinic calling people murderers? Instead, shouldn't those signs read, you know what, we will open our arms with love and compassion to you. We recognize you that you may have made one mistake. We'll help you to not make a second. We'll come and we'll help you care for this child so that you don't have to dispose of this child in this particular way. I haven't seen too many picket lines with those signs. Instead, I see us making the most comfortable proclamations, saying that you're the one in the wrong, and you don't belong amongst us. There's so many other issues of today where you, where you think of things that have got us very, very concerned, things about the traditional values within marriage, and, and many people are divided on the issue, and we're so vocal on some of these things, protecting those within the 99, uh, within the fold, where we forget to extend love and compassion to those who are in deep need of it, and sharing for love and hope and recovery for people who are desperately lost. You know, that's where I would hope that, you know, the Lord would challenge us to find more ways, not just to show acceptance of different perspectives, but rather to show love and healing to those people who are wrestling. You know, there's so many other places where we could go with that, but ask yourself this question, as I know it's a, an attitude that I've heard so often within our, our own church, my own home church, where I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm unhappy with the church because it's not feeding my needs. Well, I want to just offer that 
perspective that perhaps the church isn't here necessarily to feed our needs. Just as the shepherd you know, projected there his own values, I'm not here necessarily to just only care for the sheep that are in this fold, but my primary concern is that one that was lost. Perhaps I've been a little bit too bold on that point, so I'm going to move on to that was the value of one. I want, I want to talk about what's the power of one. I move on to the next story, and I see that one, the number one, can have tremendous power. The story of the lost coin. Haven't we all been there? Have you ever been late for a meeting because you can't find your keys? And you tear the house apart from top to bottom, you know, looking for those keys and the anxiety and the stress that it causes. Or that tool that you had in your hand just two moments ago, right, when you're in the middle of a busy job. Or you're looking for the, that coupon for the free burger that you now have a hankering for, right? And you just can't find these things. And it can become consuming. That one thing that's lost can become overwhelming, it can become the consuming thought that keeps you up at night. It's that uh, missing ingredient in your pancakes that turns them into hockey pucks, right? That got me off uh, pancake duty for a couple weeks, I think. You know, it's the final piece of that puzzle that turns the object of frustration into a thing of beauty, right? It's ridding your tent. Here's one that's maybe a little more relevant for the seasons. Ridding your tent of that one final mosquito that's keeping you up at night. What is your one consuming thought? Your passion, your dream, your goal? You know, I believe that this passage illustrates what God's consuming passion is. Again, it's not about the nine that were there that wasn't sufficient. It's the one that was lost. The woman who swept her house and found that one that was lost didn't call her, her neighbors together to celebrate the nine that were there, but to celebrate the one that was now brought back into its place. You know, I've met a number of people over the years that, through our time in ministry, that have illustrated this point for me. And a lot of them were kids. Kids with tremendous power to put things in their right spot and not to be satisfied until they were in the right spot. You know, kids have an incredible sacrificial spirit within themselves, too, to put things in right order. I think of one young boy that really challenged me. He was one of the few that was, came from maybe a more privileged home. Most of the children that we work with come from very uh, underprivileged homes, very poor places. But he actually was one of the fortunate few that came from a, a, a home that had some resources. In fact, his, his father was... Um, was a Hindu fundamentalist in India, and he was one of the community leaders. So he came from a good, good background. And his father wanted to encourage him in his studies. So what he did was he, he offered him anything that he would want. If he achieved a certain goal within his school grades, he could ask for any gift that he wanted, and his father would grant it. Oh, that's exciting as a kid, isn't it? So he worked hard, and he achieved this goal. And so the time had come, and like me, he had, a, had a, a, a passion for bicycles. He wanted to have that bike. You remember that first bike that you got? I remember one of the first bikes that I got, and I remember going down to the home hardware in Winkler, and every week looking at this beautiful white mountain bike, and I wanted that one for my birthday. I can still remember that feeling of just 
hopeful anticipation. For months I would go, fortunately my birthday is in summertime, so I thought this would be great if I could get this bike for my birthday. Much like this child, he had a, a vision, this, this hopeful anticipation of receiving this bicycle if he achieved this goal. Now, something had happened, though, in his life. See, the pastor that uh, did the camping program that he had attended also had a follow-up program in the school that was in the, in the community there. And the father of this boy had caught wind of this follow-up program, this Christian program that was happening in the school, and he had it shut down because he heard of all these children that were coming to Christ and their families. And so as a Hindu fundamentalist, this was bad for business, right? And so um, this young boy heard about the fact that it was his father that was responsible for this follow-up program to, coming to an end, and he was humbled by this. And so he thought, well, I could have this bike, or perhaps I could go to my father and ask him to allow this pastor to continue coming to the school and doing the follow-up program. So the father asked, what is the wish that you would have? And he says, Father, I would like to have the follow-up program because he knew that while the bike would be good for one, it wasn't the most important for many. He wanted all of these children to have this hope. And so the father granted that wish and he and, and the pastor became good friends. You know, I could tell you of all kinds of pastors, just like the first one that I shared with you, that just don't rest. You know, another one, uh, another story that relates to a bike, um, you know, where, where um, you know, we've given away a few bikes to, to pastors just to help make their life a little bit easier. Um, and and uh, one of our friends who was there to, to, to give this bike to this, this pastor handed this bike over to this pastor and the, wor- the words that came out of his mouth were an expression that uh, my friend from Canada thought was, he would say, well, now my life will be easier, right? Because now I can get from point A to point B quicker. And that would have been my perspective, right? Is to take this gift and make my life easier. But no, the pastor says, now I can do more. You know what? The power of one, taking that one and multiplying it, taking that one and putting it in the rightful place. The number one has tremendous power. Finally, I want to move on to that last story of the lost son. And I believe that it illustrates the potential of one. That nothing is outside of God's reach. You guys have heard this story so many times. And uh, there's so much that we could reflect from it. And I'm sure that you've heard all kinds of messages on just this one passage. But I want to focus on the potential of one. That nothing is outside of God's reach. You know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, those were both things that were reasonable to find, right? Those are things within our own human power. We can go and we can pull them back in. We can go and search for that sheep. We can search for that coin and we can bring it back in. But how about a person with their own will? That one person who's prone to wander, that seems to strike a place where it's a little bit more challenging, you know, the person who's prone to wander, the person who squanders the opportunities that are uh, ahead of them. Perhaps this parable is one that maybe connects with some of you. Maybe you have children who have wandered away. Or there's a family member that is living outside of what God's design has been for their life. And that can become quite overwhelming. I hope this parable speaks to you that 
that nothing is outside of God's reach, that there is tremendous potential in even that one. What does this parable reflect about God's attitude or perspective on the lost? Again, that just simply nothing is outside of his reach. Not the atheist grandmother that a child brings to a church whose heart is then transformed. Not the prisoner who hears singing from the church just down the road from his jail cell. Not the Hindu priest who takes his own child and offers it to the snake gods. Or the radical terrorist plotting to blow up a bridge. All of these people are people who our ministries have crossed paths with. And in fact, coincidentally, all of them have become camp leaders. Nothing is outside of God's reach. But yet, God is that attentive father waiting for his son to come home. Now, there's a comforting thought. Some of you may have spent the last night sleepless thinking about that stressful situation or praying for that person to come home. Imagine this. You're not alone. That father, I, I get a picture of this. When I, when I hear this story of the prodigal son, I see uh, a, a father sitting on the porch just waiting with binoculars in hand waiting for the son to come home day after day. As you give watch and you pray, God is standing there, right there beside you, waiting, just as you are waiting. You're accompanied by the one who sees the potential of the one, and he's the one that can bring the dead back to life. Hmm. I think it's important to note all the characters, and I'll come back to that first point where I was talking about the 99 and the 1, because I think it arrives here once again, And again, I hope that I am not speaking too boldly or out of place when I say that perhaps our focus as the North American church is misplaced just because I see so many churches in the developing world doing something so differently and that's why they're bearing such great fruit. You know, these pastors saying that their church is doubling, tripling, quadrupling in size in just one single year because of their focus on the lost rather than just focusing those that are within their own four walls. You know, I look at the one character that probably most reflects my own attitudes, and it's that son, the older son, right? I hear my voice so often within his own. The music style is not my own within the church. The programs don't serve my needs. The son says this. He says... um, The older son became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Uh, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I sometimes look, look at all that I've done for our church, and yet where is the concern given for my own needs? My voice is right there with his. And the father responds to him, Look, All that I have is yours. Look at the incredible inheritance that we have. Jesus is saying to us, is your inheritance not enough? All of heaven belongs to you. The kingdom is yours. Nothing is withheld from you. But 
Is that not enough? Can you not embrace that? That you'd be willing to sacrifice just some of these little things by the side so that we can focus on your brother, your younger brother, who was once dead and now has come back to life. Won't you come and celebrate? Unfortunately, that son didn't celebrate, did he? And unfortunately, I see that that's the picture that often most portrays me as well. Think of that incredible inheritance. And, uh, yeah, hopefully all of this gives you something to meditate on, to think about, perhaps over lunch or the afternoon or this week, something to discuss that one has incredible value, that one has tremendous power, and that one has tremendous potential. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess that my attitudes don't often line up with yours. But I thank you for speaking to us through these passages, showing us how deeply you value the lost. God, would you place that passion, that burden within my heart and within all of our hearts so that our goal and our passion this week would be to go and share the best news with those that are around us. We pray that you'd empower us to these ends, Jesus, and we pray these things for your glory alone. Amen.